What does the Bible really say about gender roles? Spoken by Pastor David Hosang. This is the third Sunday of June when we celebrate Father's Day, honoring fatherhood and the influence of fathers in society. And to you fathers out there, one of the best gifts that you can give your children is to love their mom sacrificially as Jesus loves the church, his bride, and to treat her fully as a co-heir of salvation or else your prayers will be hindered. This is not what Hosang says, but what the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. Expanding this to include men, one of the best gifts you can give to women is to treat older women with respect as mothers and younger women with purity as sisters. This is what the Bible says in Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. Our third celebration is that we are revisiting the biblical equal rights charter of liberty, which we will soon tackle and which will soon become clear to you. Last Sunday, Pastor Peter kicked off our new 10-part series on what does the Bible really say and tackled one of his favorite hot, steamy topic of sex. By way of reminder, sex is good because the all good God created it to be enjoyed in the context of a committed marriage relationship between male and female. Also, sex is not merely a necessary evil of procreation, but a relational opportunity to know yourself and to know your partner more intimately. This week, we tackle another challenging, perhaps controversial issue of gender roles and functions. But before we do that, let's pray, because we need it. Let's pray. Father, according to the book of James in the Bible, you encourage us that if we lack wisdom, we should ask you, and you will generously and willingly give it to us. We need your wisdom now. We acknowledge that we have our own biases, prejudices, whether from nature or nurture. We pray that you, we will allow your Holy Spirit to make us honest, humble, open, obedient, transparent, teachable, as we hear your word to us this morning. Amen. It is only a short Google click away to discover what certain words or terms mean. For clarification, today we will not address the specific issue of gender, since that was assumed and therefore not an issue in Bible times. 
So the Bible does not really address that particular issue in a major or explicit way. However, there are far more material on gender functions and roles that will focus on what does the Bible really say about gender roles or gender functions. So here are two basic definitions of gender role. The first comes from the Oxford English Dictionary. Gender role is a role or behavior learned by a person as appropriate to their gender determined by the prevailing cultural norms. A more expansive definition from Wikipedia describes gender role as a role, a social role encompassing a range of behaviors and attitudes that are generally considered acceptable, appropriate, or desirable for persons based on that person's sex. Gender roles are often centered on conceptions of masculinity and femininity, although there are exceptions and variations. The specifics regarding these gendered expectations may vary among cultures, while other characteristics may be common throughout a range of cultures. So my friends, it is important for us as Christians to be informed and to know what the world believes regarding important issues of life. Two advantages of this are that it forces us to reflect on what we Christians believe and why we believe what we believe and for us to engage in civil, constructive dialogue with those who do not share our beliefs or don't even know what they believe. This will help us to clearly identify the essential similarities or radical differences in what we believe. The primary starting point of all Christians ought not to be, so what does the majority believe? Or what do influential people like politicians, entertainers, athletes, talk show hosts, social media influencers believe? But the primary frame of reference for the Christian ought to be, what does the Bible say about this, if anything? So it is absolutely essential for all Christians to know what the Bible says about important issues. All truth has its source in God, and God has chosen to reveal to us the most important truths about himself and his ways, primarily through the written word, the Bible, and the incarnate word, Jesus, revealed primarily in the Bible. So, my brothers and my sisters, that it is why it is important for us not to be ignorant or semi-literate regarding who God is and what he declares and desires us to believe and communicate with our words and with our actions. To truly know the God of the word well, we need to know the word of God well, since these are his 66 love letters to us. 
Now, each of us have had our own personal, unique experiences of gender roles in our home or possibly at church as well. For example, while there were clear gender functions in my family, my mom was the one who gave birth to my sister and I, not my father. But other roles were not as traditional in our household, like mom staying at home to look after household matters and dad going out to work to earn the paycheck. My dad was a salesman and later became sales manager. And my mom and her sister were small business owners. Some of you from immigrant families may have had a similar experience where both parents were working out of economic necessity or out of choice, or mom stayed home to look after you or younger siblings at the home. My dad was an excellent baker, but he was too busy at work. So the only time that he commandeered our kitchen was during Christmas to make Christmas cakes. Meals were prepared by our two live-in household helpers during the week, and grandma and mom cooked meals for the weekends. But church life was very different and more clearly demarcated for us. Although many of our people in our small Christian group at that time went out on the mission field and served in our Christian group as leaders or women, when our group officially became a local church affiliated with a fundamentalist denomination, women were, were no longer permitted to speak in public or church gatherings. In fact, when Betty and I visited some dear Christian Caribbean friends in upstate New York this week, the wife recounted that when she and her friends in an all-female singing group arrived at an even more conservative church than ours, they were not allowed to sing from the platform only if there was a man standing silently beside them as their authority, or they could sing from the piano off the stage, which they chose to do. They were also required to wear head covering. Now, though I was familiar with those scripture passages like 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 11 and 14, and especially 1 Timothy 2, used to justify these practices, I was deeply suspicious of these interpretations and practices, and actually got into trouble with my church later as a young elder. I may mention this later on. Now this may sound very strange and alien to many of you, as this happened 50 years ago in third world Jamaica. But these types of practices still exist in fundamentalist and evangelical churches today in America. And perhaps some of you are here today partially because you couldn't accept some of these practices. Today, we will focus essentially on two basic questions regarding what should we know and what should we do. I'll try very hard to give you a drink of water from a water hose 
rather than from a fire hydrant today. But we will go rapidly through many Bible passages which implicitly or explicitly address the issue of gender roles. The dirty secret is out. Since most preachers have been men, they have often not identified and emphasized the numerous occasions in which women have played a prominent, even countercultural role in the Bible, in the midst of a predominant patriarchal, male-dominant societies of the ancient world. Sadly, with time constraints, we won't be able to devote significant time to each of these passages. But let's make a go at it. Well, firstly, we need to be humble about acknowledging that the Bible does not address some contemporary questions, with one obvious reason that they were non-issues then. In cases like these, we need to look at Bible principles, extrapolate them, and use our sanctified common sense to apply them to our unique situation today. Also, we need to acknowledge that while there are not many, there are a few difficult, controversial passages where a good knowledge of the background and context and good principles of interpretation are required to understand what the Bible truly says. For example, let me mention three of the most controversial passages on gender roles in the New Testament. There is the head covering of prophesying women in 1 Corinthians 11. There's a silence of wives in the church in 1 Corinthians 14. And there's a silence, submission, non-teaching, and non-dominance of women in the church in 1 Timothy 2. Now, if we consider the patriarchal, male-dominant cultures of the ancient world, including the first-century Jewish and Hellenistic background of the New Testament, where there were, say, women who were not generally well-educated, women who lived in the aggressive cultures of Corinth and Ephesus, women who created certain problems in the church which the apostles had to address. This helps us to get a better understanding of the interpretation and application of these texts. But rather than focusing on these very disputed texts, let us take a quick jog through the Bible identifying the numerous texts that we find that implicitly or explicitly address the question of gender roles in a positive way. We first look at what the Bible says historically, what the Bible reports, the descriptive aspect of scripture. Then we look at what the Bible says theologically, not what it reports, but what it teaches, not what it describes, but what it prescribes. So firstly, what does the Bible say historically about gender roles? And we briefly identify six things. First of all, women exercised significant functions in Old Testament history. 
to identify a few prominent women. They're Rahab, Ruth, Abigail, and Esther. But for the sake of time, we will just mention a few details of one of these women. Deborah, and we have a few Deborahs here at Metro. The book of Judges describes Deborah as a prophetess and a wise judge who ruled over Israel before they had a king. She was a courageous leader who led Israel into battle over their oppressors when the male leader Barak punted and got cold feet and deferred to her. So we have women who exercised significant functions in the Old Testament. Going to the New Testament, we have secondly, Jesus treating women with honor and respect. In the Jewish world, Jesus' treatment of women was certainly countercultural. Some examples of Jesus' encounters with these women include the woman caught in adultery in John 8, the incurable hemorrhaging woman in Mark 5, the bereaved widow of her dead son in Luke 7. But let's just mention the sinful Samaritan woman in John 4. She had at least three strikes against her. She was a hated half-breed Samaritan. Secondly, she was a woman. And thirdly, she was living a sinful life, shacking up with a sick man who was not even her husband. But Jesus pointed her to himself as the Messiah. She said yes to him as the Messiah. And God used her great evangelism gifts to bring many of the townspeople to the Lord. So, not only did Jesus treat women with honor and respect, if we read the Gospels, Jesus had a support team which included women. Yes, there was the 12 disciples. Yes, there was Peter, James, and John. But according to Luke chapter eight, there were women like Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, plus many other women who provided moral support and financial support for Jesus and his ministry while he was here on earth. Also, Jesus had special friendships, not just with men, but with women as well. For example, John 11:5 mentioned explicitly, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. And we have a few endearing encounters recorded in the Gospels which show that Jesus had a close and really deep friendship with women. Also, if you want to look at another role of woman, Jesus appeared first to woman after his resurrection. If we read John 20, for example, the one who Jesus first appeared after his resurrection was Mary Magdalene. And then sixthly, in terms of the historical evidence, woman played a prominent role in the early church. We see the woman in the upper room with the 12 disciples, and they're explicitly mentioned in Acts chapter one. Then there's Priscilla, 
who was the one who came alongside this hotshot preacher, Apollos, who became a Christian, and she coached him, not her husband, Aquila. Then we have Philip's four daughters who are evangelists. Then we have Phoebe, who is a very prominent deaconess in the church at Cancria. Then there is Junia, who is chief among the apostles. But let's just take a quick look at one of these women, Lydia of Philippi. She was a very successful entrepreneur, led a woman's prayer group, said yes to Jesus under Paul's preaching, provided hospitality to Paul and his missionary team, and undoubtedly was one of the key leaders in the church in Philippi, which was probably Paul's most mature church and greatest financial support. So these are just some examples and evidences of what the Bible says historically. Let's now look at what the Bible says theologically about women and their service. Firstly, God created male and female in his image, and to add to that, not only in his image, but with the same assignment. Without any comment, I will read this passage that Pastor Peter had read last Sunday from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us, not just plural of majesty, but the trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and here's a job description, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Another thing the Bible says about gender is found in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Remember when the Spirit came in the upper room and the Christians went out and started speaking in tongues? Well, some of the critics said, oh, these guys are probably just drunk. And Peter says, no, these are not drunk because it's just nine o'clock in the morning. The bars aren't open yet. And, well, I mean, I'm just adding that. Uh, but this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel in the Old Testament in Joel 2. So let's uh, listen to two verses. Acts 2, 17. Quoting from Joel 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And then the next verse. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. A third thing that God's word says, the Bible says about woman and gender roles theologically is God distributes spiritual gifts regardless of gender. We don't have enough time to look at 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or 1 Peter 4 and parts of Ephesians 4. So I've just included one verse in 1 Corinthians 12 as a representative. 
Here's what 1 Corinthians 12:11 says. All these gifts are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes to each one just as he determines. Whether it is Paul or Peter, Paul does not say, here is a list of super-duper gifts that he has given men. And here is a list of not so good gifts that he has given to women. That's not in my Bible. There is no discrimination. There is no determination of who the gifts are given to based on their gender. Oh, and just a little, by the way. We already have 22 of 25 sign up for Shape or Spiritual Gifts um, workshop. So sign up now or at least get waitlisted in case there are dropouts. Fourth, God views male and female as equals. Paul is speaking in Galatians 3.28. And how much clearer do you need to have this? Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I also point out to some of my conservative interpretations, interpreters that this is not just talking about salvation, soteriology, but it is speaking of the church, ecclesiology. It includes functioning of woman in the full capacity. And then fifthly, God designates marriage functions, not ratings. Now, unfortunately, we haven't got time to look at that huge, challenging, and rich, and even controversial passage in Ephesians 5. But um, I just included that last verse in the passage where it summarizes some of the responsibilities of the wives and some of the responsibilities of the husbands. So Ephesians 5.33, however, each of you must also love his wife as he loves his, himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let me just make a few comments on Ephesians 5 and overall. Difference in function does not mean superiority of persons. Case in point is that in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he makes it clear that every single member of the body is vitally important and there is no ratings or rankings such as the eye better than the ear or the hand better than the foot. So, the designated headship role of the husband and the family doesn't make him superior and his wife inferior. Here are just a few summary highlights of Ephesians 5. First of all, there ought to be mutual submission of all Christians to each other. In verse 21 actually says submit to each other. It's an imperatival participle, and the next one about wives submitting doesn't actually have a main verb. It uses the same participial imperative as, as the previous verse. So, the instructions are, though, that wives ought to submit and respect their husbands. 
Now, this does not mean blind obedience to anything the husband says. In fact, my beloved wife, Betty, turned me down when I asked her to team teach with me this morning. Her reason is that speaking upfront is not her calling and passion. So I accepted that and didn't twist her arm and told her to submit. <laughs> Husbands, the head of the marriage, as Christ is head of the church, ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church and as they love their own bodies. This husband brought his wife willingly to frozen and humid New Jersey these past eight years. But he gladly tries to listen to her, particularly in areas where she's more creative, practical, and gifted. So for example, it was her idea for me to wear this dashiki this morning, <laughs> despite my initial reservations. When we have people coming over for a meal, she is clearly the chef, with me as sous chef, plus setter of the table, and cleaner of the house, including toilets, which is supposedly my spiritual gift, <laughs> defined by, by my wife as a, my spiritual gift is anything that she hates doing. Now with different personalities and gifting, the dynamics will be different for each couple. But the operating principle remains the same. Implementing the principles of Ephesians 5 and truly regarding each other as equal heirs to the grace of life. Our personal journey will be four to four years next week, but it continues. Finally, in the light of what the Bible really says about gender roles, what should we do? What should our response be? I have four action steps for us. One, equally value every person. Personally, I love relationships and conversations with women not because I'm a ladies' man, which I am not, <laughs> but because it seems to me, generally, women have a greater desire for God. They are more articulate in communicating their thoughts and feelings, and they're often deeper and less shallow than men. But having said that, I will ask you women to call me out in the event that I say or do something that comes across to you as sexist or chauvinistic. We're all in this transforming together. A few weeks ago at our staff meeting, one of our male staff members unintentionally, un uncharacteristically made a passionate statement about committing committed servants of God. And he talked about you know, things like growing balls. And uh, you know, I listened to it and I said, well, maybe some of these women who are actually leaders 
um, may sort of take some offense to it. So I mentioned in our sermon prep this week, and we all agreed that we need to be constantly alert in how we treat each other in our thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions as equals. And we all agreed on this. Secondly, fully live to God's unique calling. It would be awful stewardship and a tragic waste of spiritual gifts here at Metro if we intentionally or arbitrarily froze some of God's gifts to women. So ladies, as well as gentlemen, for God's sake, please fully function as that member of the body that God created you to be. So I was so different perhaps even considered a little quirky or even weird. You may be involved in a profession or a ministry which is not usually pursued by your gender. And your family and friends may be looking questioningly or even disapprovingly at your choice. But as long as this is consistent with God's kingdom values and aligned with his will for you, go for it. Thirdly, strongly advocate the universal priesthood. As I mentioned earlier to you about the conservative church of my past, which is now very dramatically different. As a young elder, I got into trouble by asking women to read scripture on the platform, to share reports from their missionary work, because I believe then, and I believe now, that they are truly equal everywhere, especially in the church. Our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is a strong advocate for women in leadership and ministry in the church. In fact, very shortly, we'll, we'll be voting for a female president of our denomination who happens to be Pastor Kevin Swanson's sister. Now, I'll toot Pastor Peter's horn for him since he won't. As lead pastor, he has been very proactive in being an advocate for women in leadership. At our elder board, we presently have three women and three men. On our staff, we have nine women and nine men. Nine are ordained or licensed. There are three women and six men. On our senior pastoral management team, we have two women and three men. There is no quota or restriction of women and men on any of these teams, except, of course, women's and men's ministry for obvious reasons. Fourthly, optimally engage in God's equal opportunity community. I encourage you to serve in the area of your giftedness and your church's needs. Don't be a horrible steward of the gifts that God has entrusted you to serve him. And also, don't allow Metro to make you a horrible steward of your gifts. As an old man, I particularly charge you women out there not to wait behind men to serve or to wait until no man steps up to serve 
but to pursue service, including leadership, without hesitation or reservation. If there are areas in which you feel restricted to serve, please talk to Pastor Peter, the elders, or staff. Remember that the salvation ground, the service ground, is all level at the foot of the cross. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much that we don't need to have an equal rights amendment in the church because in scripture you reveal how precious both men and women are to you and the significant roles that both men and women have played in the church, past, present, and also in the future. So Father, I pray that as you have spoken uniquely and specially to each person, that we would have the courage to respond to you in either reorienting our views of how we ought to serve or how the other gender ought to serve, or practically applying these truths to our lives so that the church can be the church where again, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So thank you for the way that you've spoken and thank you for the way that we'll respond to you in glad obedience. In Jesus' name we pray.